So this is our first podcast. Our first of many, first of many, hopefully. Love it. Excited. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. It's always great to be in conversation with you. And I'm glad that we get a chance to share with those of us who will be watching. Um, and I think our first topic, because it's our first topic, is laying the groundwork as to why we're here. What is it that you want to bring to this podcast? We put it in our intros, but like, what is it that, that's really driving you and that you want people to take away from this? Mm. Well, you know, it's so easy to say real estate, and um, but it's like uh, a prism that like gets shot through from so many angles. Like it, it means and it activates and it stimulates and it, frankly, um, can trouble people in so many different ways for so many reasons. And uh, so I look forward to talking about that, having that prismatic perspective of thinking about real estate um, in this, in this podcast. And I know that for you and me, thinking about real estate means thinking about power and thinking about, because land is so tied to power, particularly in the United States. Um, and how that also conveys wealth and in in the independence. So so for me, already it's like we're going down the line of all the different ways to think about real estate, but it's land, power, wealth, and in particular for this this podcast, this audience, this conversation, um, I'm excited to continually center the perspectives experiences of black people, indigenous people, people of color, immigrants, first generation people like myself. Um, what does real estate, what does land, what does owning land, what does owning private property mean for us in our lives and how do we navigate it in a way that brings joy, wealth, connectivity and independence? Mm -hmm. No, I totally yeah. hear that. I agree with all of that. Um, yes, I was thinking about what the groundwork is and laying the groundwork for this conversation, but also just around real estate generally. Uh, when I think about real estate or think about the conversations I've had with people who are interested in real estate, it's often around the middle portion of it, like the actual owning of the property, owning of the investment. And not a lot of people... I don't think, I don't believe a lot of people really think about sort of the, the access points around real estate and, you know, or if they do is often limited to like the purchase of a piece of property, like the financing and the purchase. And they don't think about sort of their emotional drivers or some of the things that really kind of motivate them or yeah. also the end product. So there's the intro, there's the access points. Like what's, what's, uh, what's your individual access point, but then what do you want to get out of it at the same time? So sure, you can buy your primary residence. You may also buy a vacation home. But then at the end of all of that, are you still in the same place? Are you still in this cycle of work, get up, work, pay your bills, go to sleep, repeat, get up, work, pay your bills, go to sleep, and just keep doing that over and over and over again for, for decades <laughs> until you die? Or is, or is there an exit ramp that doesn't do that where, you know, it's possible for people to, 
to use those investments as a leverage or as a lever in order to have some level of financial freedom or at least financial independence or some some type of autonomy that you may always still need to have some type of work but if you could have a little bit more autonomy um, where you don't have to rely upon a job or a boss or something or someone else for your means of living is that also something else that people can think about that they are willing to move toward um, at some point. So those are the kinds of things that I want to really have people think about how I want to use this platform, this, this conversation or these conversations as a means of getting people to think a little bit differently about real estate and how it can work for them. I love it. Thanks for saying that. And as you describe what's important to you about this conversation, I'm just so aware of there's so many things that you and I have in common that makes it so like uh, comfortable and easy to exchange complex ideas <laughs> between the two of us. Uh, but one of those things that I'm picking up is like, we're both so unbossed, you know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. You're very entrepreneurial in the way that you've gone at being a property owner. Um, and, but we're, we're two things. We're both unbossed, independent, building something from scratch, thinking outside the mold, living outside the mold, um, and also very much care about the communities that we're connected to um, geographically and, and culturally. And so it, this is like a call, I think, to our people. Like not every, it's not for everyone to not have a job and to have a business. It's not for everyone. It's not for everyone to be a landlord. It's, you know, um, some people, it's joyful and, and freeing for them to have a job. But it's also joyful and freeing for them to have um, enough equity in the home that they live in, that they understand that they have something to hand on to their young ones, or that they know that they're going to be able to tap that to help pay for their children's college. That's massive, right? So all this, all these ways to find freedom along that spectrum, but just noting that you and I hold these two poles where we're like doing our thing and making it from scratch and not following a script, a program and very much connected to and caring about community. Right, and I think the word that you, the word you just said that describes my motivation is freedom. Yeah. So I got on my investment journey, my real estate investment journey about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer because there was a point maybe 12 years ago where I was like, I no longer want to have to rely upon any one person institution or company to survive. And yes, we are all interconnected in this world. Everything is interconnected in this in this life. So I'm not saying that I live free and autonomous from everything else. I don't live, I don't exist to that level of, of anything. But just in the sense of like, I don't have to worry about, okay, is the boss going to be upset because I said this, or is the company going to go down the drain because of that? Like I have built, a, you know, enough streams of income for me to be like, okay, I can, I can choose to work if I, if I want, um, I can choose to be somewhere if I want, I can choose to learn things. I can choose to do things um, differently than I think most people have at our age or in our age group. And um, I think that's important because I think that, I think in some way, most people want freedom of some type, but I don't know that most people even think about it in that way. 
because um, freedom can come in lots of different forms. And I used to joke around with folks and say like, yeah, I'm going to buy my freedom um, yeah. as only black folks would probably really know, but you know, I would say I'm going to buy my freedom. And, you know, in, in a way I feel like I kind of have, I, I kind of have I done that. You. Yes. And, and, you know, for me, that just feels good. It feels rewarding. And when I was thinking about the workaholics in my life um, and how they would probably say, well, you know, yes, you don't have to go to work every day. You don't have to have a job, but you know, you know, does your life, they might ask, does your life have meaning? And I, my response as I was thinking about this thing, you know, this is a conversation in my head. No one actually had this with me, but I was thinking, well, the meaning of life is to actually live life. It's not about being trapped in a system. It's about finding your own meaning in life and living it. And maybe in some ways helping other people, whether it's your children or your family or your, your, um, the family that you, that you create, like whatever, whomever it is, it's, it's not no, so much about legacy, but about just providing meaning for yourself and providing meaning for others. And if, and I find that real estate is a way in which I've been able to do that. And I really want to help other people do that too, if, if that's the direction they want to move into. So, you know, just thinking a little bit more about like how I got into it, um, you know, you know that I used to live overseas for a little bit. Um, and because I was living overseas and I was moving around, this is like 20 years ago, I was moving around enough that I was sort of, I was accumulating all these things and, you know, I was, I was young. So I was like, oh, I don't want to get rid of all these things. You know, I'm going to need it when I get older, I'm going to need it here. I'm going to need it there. And so I was, I, I became, I was, a, I was, I was living a somewhat nomadic lifestyle, but you know, that also comes with carrying everything from place to place. And that just got really exhausting. Um, I would send things home, you know, and, and at some point my family was like, you have to find a different spot for these things. Like we cannot be your storage, your storage locker anymore. And I was like, fair enough. Um, and so I, I just wanted a place where I could say, this is my base, no matter where I am in the world. So whether it's for my things or whether it's for me and my things, like this is the spot where it's going to be. Um, and I wanted to be a place where I could design it how I wanted to be, where I could change it how I wanted to change it, and not feel the constraints. I, again, you know, there's the pushback against you know not having freedom. I, I didn't want constraints, um, and so I was like, I I really want to find a home. I want to find a physical home as well as like a spiritual home as well. Or you know, I don't know if I would say Boston was my spiritual home. It was my birthplace. Um, so it was the place that I felt most comfortable. And so you know, that kind of got me along the, on the route to, on the path to buying at least my first piece of property was just like, where can I be? Where can I set up as my base? Because I don't have one yet. I was still young and I was like, I don't have one yet. And I, and I really want to have one. To me, that was more important was building that sense of stability. And out of that sense of stability, I was able to find my way towards different pathways that led me to this point of having the financial freedom that I'm enjoying now. And what about you? My goodness, there's so many things to say. I mean, so much of what you're saying is is, is stimulating uh, thoughts for me. There continues to be these poles. Like I, the way I live my life and I think the way I exist in the world often is holding two things that seem to be opposite. Um, you know, so helping people acquire, um, hold on to, invest and sell real estate is by definition, very localized, you know, part of how you understand a market really well 
is by, as I say, knowing the beat or knowing the street and um, being on the ground, being local, being connected, being engaged um, in neighborhoods, in communities, understanding how things are tilting, how things are shifting and why. Why is this section of the city all of a sudden becoming really, really in demand for young professionals and why are the rents shooting up here more than they are there? Um, you know, all that stuff is fun. It's local. It's on the ground. And at the same time, you know, the way that I'm doing real estate, I'm with an international real estate brand, the Sotheby's International Realty Network, um, where there's a deep and broad um, bench of advisors who are thinking about that in their local communities. And so um, that are my colleagues that are, we're all part of the same, you know, overlapping and intersecting uh, interconnected network of agents around the US, around the world. And so that um, for any client of mine where we're having a conversation about their needs, I can actually have that conversation if it's about doing something in LA or doing something in, Barcelona. And so I am able to help people think about the broader fabric of their lives. It's not just about the right now. I'm always trying to help people think about across time and across space and how their lives are evolving. So, you know, I think often when people come to the idea of real estate, they say, how's the market? That's a question you always hear. You're at a dinner party, whatever. You run into someone on the street, how's the market? Well, what is the market to you? Um, what are your needs right now? What's animating you? What's scaring you? What are you curious about and why as it relates to real estate? And so for me, I'm always thinking about not just what's on the ground, thinking about broadly. I'm thinking about, okay, so you have this property right now. What happens when your kids graduate high school? Then what are you doing with that money? You know, so so there's so many ways to think about this, Derek. And then there's just me as an individual. You know, I chose a path to um, sell real estate, not because I was so interested in like showing people houses. You know, it's for me, it's not like what you see on TV, you know, with the like, you know, selling this or buying that. You know, it was really about wanting to help people think and make wise decisions about their assets. That's fun for me. It's very interesting to me. And to be doing that about something that is a very tangible asset that you can have a relationship with, whether that relationship is in bodily for yourself in your everyday life and what that means for building a base, a community, a sense of stability, like you said, and or is that about having something that you can share with your family and friends, like a second home? Is that like having a piece of property that you're doing good with in a neighborhood, in a community. And then when the time comes that someone in your family needs access to equity, access to cash, you can tap that property. But in the meantime, that property has been bringing you income and growing in its own value. So for me, it's fun to think about the now and the long term, the big picture and the geography of all of that too. So, and you know, if someone says to me, oh, I really want to own a piece of property and I'm I say, I mean, and you know, one of the things that we're going to do a lot in this podcast is just have very honest conversation. I am very matter of fact. I'm very no nonsense. And, you know, I will say, look, you know, it's, <laughs> I know, you know, it's lovely. It's lovely that 
you live in Boston and want to stay in one of these sought after neighborhoods in Boston, but that might not mean that you can buy in that neighborhood to be con completely honest, you know, or you have a piece of something there, but you can't buy a second thing there. So how do we actually think about your goals? How do we think about Boston more broadly? Because it is, it is expanding. People's notion of it is now 45 minutes south of the city on the commuter train, you know, in another state. People, you know, like the the what is Metro Boston is expanding because there's such a lack of housing and such a demand. And there's uh basically it's so competitive and expensive to acquire and keep property here. Um, so like people are thinking more broadly. So it's like, how do you use the money that you have? Um how do you put it to best use? So I'm always looking for highest and best use, always. And that might mean you're not buying here. This is not a deal market. Boston is not a market where you're looking for a deal or you're going to get a deal. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, right. for, it means it's a great market to own property. But if you don't already, okay, well, where can you go? That's frankly next. And so, <laughs> you know, these are the conversations to have, like to really think about the big picture um, and to hold the complexity and hold things that might seem in 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 contrast to each other because they actually feed each other and that's fun. Yeah, and there's two things I want to pull out from what you what you were just saying. So one is if, even if you're not from Boston and you're watching this podcast, this is still for you. Um, so Melanie and I both sort of got our got our real estate starts in Boston. So um, we will probably be using Boston as the example, but th that does not mean that if you're looking at us from New York or Miami or Chicago or Toronto or wherever else, that this doesn't apply to you. Like, well, we hope it will still apply to you. Um, but, you know, we'll probably be using Boston as the example because that's what we're most familiar with. But that said, um, I do own property in two states, Massachusetts and Illinois. Um, so we are going to talk about multi-state investing, um, just thinking about why to do that, like how to do that, how to get started. Um, we'll be bringing in, we hope to bring in a, a realtor from another state just to talk about working across state lines. Um, so, you know, we'll be looking at things from different different angles. Um, but something else I want to sort of pick up on that you said, Melanie, was, um, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but the phrase that came to my mind was the fear factor. So you and I are far enough along in our real estate journeys that mm -hmm. the fear factor is lessened if it even still exists. I think now I almost try not to be too cavalier in terms of how I move forward sometimes because I know that that's, you know, can often cause problems in a different sort. But, you know, based on conversations that you and I have had with each other and that we've had with other people, there's a lot of fear out there about getting into real estate. Um, you know, will I have the money? What happens if something happens to the house? You know, how do I um, secure my title? But even around like, am I ready to own property? Do I want to be a landlord? Like, what if I don't like my neighbors? How do I get to know my neighbors? How do I find a realtor? How do I find people to help me with the house? How much do I save for maintenance? There are so many things that people so many ideas and questions that people accumulate in their minds or in their hearts or wherever they accumulate them that stops them from even taking that first step. And that first step could be either talking to someone who owns real estate. It could be talking to a realtor. It could be even looking at their own finances um, that it stops them from even taking the steps to move forward. And one of the things that our friend Nyako Perry said was, you know, you have to become intimate with your finances. Um, you have to become intimate with your savings and understand 
where your where, where your income is coming in, what your expenses are going out, and then what you're comfortable with in terms of your monthly expenses towards being a property owner. Um, a lot of people, I think, are just worried about that bottom line number of the property costs X number of hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then they kind of get freaked out. Um, you know, not thinking about okay, well, if it's amortized into that small number, whatever it is plus taxes, plus insurance, you know, it can sometimes be way more affordable than renting. Of course, again, it depends on where you are and it depends on, you know, what you're looking for. But a lot of times it can put you on a path to something that you didn't even know you have access to. Um, and so I think, you know, that's something that we're also going to be sort of moving toward in these conversations in this podcast. Like we're not going to do a whole lot in terms of the dollars and cents. Like we may Bring that in here or there, but we're really not talking about like apply for this loan or talk to this mortgage broker. Like we're not gonna really gonna do a whole lot of that. It's gonna be more about like how to get past your own concerns to move forward and move forward in your life in a different way. And doing that from a perspective as best that we know of um, as Black people and what it means to be black, particularly in the United States, but honestly, globally. Because really, you can't think about land without thinking about racism. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you can't think about land without thinking about power um, and access to resource. And so the blockages, the points of hesitation, even the concerns like, should I trust a bank, um, those questions are conditioned, those concerns, those fears are conditioned because of how black indigenous and people of color have interfaced with institutions over time um, and how they've been addressed and treated by institutions over time. And that's in the US and broadly. I could tell you clients of mine who've come from Brazil, who come from Jamaica, who come from India, it's like, wait, lender? What, what? <laughs> you know, um, interest rate, what? You know, so there's a lot of like, why should I take on this kind of responsibility, this kind of debt, this kind of exposure when X, Y, Z thing can happen? So what we're trying to do in this um, conversation, in this podcast is think about how we actually experience the realm of real estate and which isn't just people isn't it isn't just everybody like we do interface with it with certain fears certain hopes certain doubts certain confusions that are conditioned that we can start to like rustle and and disintegrate by talking and sharing ideas with each other and that's fun mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and one more thing. So you keep bringing all these ideas to my head. So one other thing that I'll throw out there is around this whole idea of institutions. Um, not just do we trust them as people of color, but are they really working in our best interest? And even if they are, are they actually ready for what society could look like when you have more people of color who have built wealth who are ready to exercise their agency. Because when I think about an institution that I worked for in the past that said, yeah, we're working to build, to increase black wealth. 
And I was sort of like, do they even know, one, do they even know what that looks like? Or is it just like this really standard set of like, they look like Oprah, they look like this developer, they look like this developer. Do they understand that it could come in a variety of forms? But then also, are they ready? So let's say that they helped, you know, a thousand or 10,000 people of color over the next 10 years become wealthier. Those people of color are going to be like, you know what? I'm kind of over, you know, the way in which I've been treated in terms of like, I'm being seen as like this uh, disciple of poverty or, you know, I'm, I'm needing, I'm, I'm needing assistance all the time. I'm now in a position where I can help other people. And I want it to look in this way. I want it to happen in this way. Are those institutions and organizations ready for a larger black middle class that's, or a larger middle class of people of color that are going to be like, it's time to change the way this is done. It can't look like this anymore because those conditions don't exist in the same way. And what happens when you have a class of people who historically have been seen as being disadvantaged and marginalized or who are needing the assistance saying, we're no longer the we're no longer the pool of people that need your assistance. We're now the pool of people that is going to change things. We're now the pool of people who want to move things in a different way. Is society ready for that? And even, I would even ask the question, are people of color ready for that? Like we want that, but are we ready for that? And we're ready to exercise that agency in the way in which we hope that we'll be able to in the future. Yeah. I love it. And I think what I bring to these conversations too is just a very matter of factness. You know, because I think it's easy to say, like you've been on a beautiful 10-year trajectory. It's been an honor to watch it, Derek, and I'm inspired by it and proud and excited by it. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And and that's not everyone. You know, mm -hmm. like it, there's so many hurdles that can, that we, it's not even just hurdles. It's kind of like, baggage that we've been set up to carry um, culturally and economically from generations. And so I like this bigger vision of saying, yeah, what if in 20 years, there are more of us who da, da, da. And at the same time, like, right. But I don't know that it happens that as quickly for everyone. And I just want to be honest about that. If you have children, if you have elder parents that you have to take care of, if you got out of college with debt, if you're helping cover the debt of people in your family, right? There, there's all these sort of, frankly, entrapments, which enrage me. Um, you know, one of the things that I see that I interface with, and I do think it's important to talk about Boston, not as a specific locale, but a certain kind of metropolitan area that actually can, it, it is a good point of reference for what's happening, particularly in coastal U.S. cities, where there is a high concentration of wealth, where there is, um, frankly, where there's strong economic basis that people are continually moving to because of really solid, stable work, but where it's increasingly expensive and exclusive and hard uh, to be able to afford to live in. So Boston's an excellent example of that. It's not a New York City, but honestly, it behaves like a New York City in a lot of ways. Um, just as San Francisco has, and there's a lot of shifts that have happened there post-pandemic. But you know, you see what can happen where you have concentrations of wealth. What does that What what does that mean for um, Black folks who might have bought in neighborhoods in some of these metropolitan areas in the '70s? Could the, that similar demographic right now acquire property? No, 
No, they could not. They could not. They could not. No, because they're competing with white wealth to get into cities, to get into inner city court, right? So, so there's that. But at the same time, you have a lot of young black professionals and professionals of color and first generation professionals of color who are earning more money than their parents or their parents' parents ever could have imagined. Mm -hmm. But they actually still don't have enough assets to acquire property in the place where they're working. So that's the stuff. That's the heart of what we're really trying to talk about, which is like, in order for us to move, there's not just some neat trajectory, some neat line. There are all these hurdles and there are all of these forces that are almost like opposing each other, where yes, we're moving up in a certain way, but we're also moving out. We're also being pushed out of cities from an affordability standpoint. And how do we embrace that? You know, how do we work with that? How do we navigate that? Um, how do we recapture some sense of control knowing that, yeah, it may not be some neat line, but broadly, if we can think about ourselves as part of a network, part of a, uh, a system of change where there's demographic shifts going on and see where we fit in that and how can we leverage that for ourselves, for our family, for our friends, that's what's exciting and interesting to me. But I don't think, you know, the whole notion of even the inner city, that was the 60s, right? And now it's like, that's where white wealth wants to be. What do you do with that? Right, right. Not just what it wants to be, it's where it is. And when we say uh, white wealth, what we really mean is family money. And family money that people have, frankly, comes from real estate, largely. It's not just that people are working so hard and earning their money and doing so well. Yes, that is true for hedge fund managers, they're earning a lot of money, right? But for a lot of people who are in the middle or just upper middle class, who are doing their professional jobs, their professors, their what have you, um, they're not necessarily building wealth as fast if they don't already own real estate or if they don't have family money to tap into to help them acquire real estate. And what does that mean for us? Like, that's a big damn deal. That is a big deal. That is a big deal. That's a big deal because doesn't the whole generation of us get closed out of this thing that has been a wealth builder for so many white people since World War II. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and before then too. But Melanie, guess what? Yes, we're we're at time. Oh, we gotta we gotta we gotta get back to our paid gigs. But um, of course, this is just the beginning. This is just laying the groundwork, as this episode is titled. Um, but you know, thank you for your time, and I'm going to thank everybody who's watching. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, please leave comments in the area below where you can leave some comments and also subscribe to us so you can follow along as we release new episodes. Looking forward. All right. I will see you next time. Take care, everyone.